should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because fascism may have been held off for a few more days. My name is Kevin, and you're not laughing at that one. You're not laughing at You usually give me a chuckle, but it is dead serious this time. <laughs> because fascism still may be coming, but it's fine. Yeah, that's true. kind of okay. That's true. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who won his election last week, thanks to Gen Z voters. Sure. I don't know if Gen Z voters would vote for me, genuinely. Maybe. Uh, you're a little too old for Gen yeah, Z. Maybe. You're a little too old for Gen Z. I don't know, Z. but I well, can say it's the blank for me, and then everyone will be like, yeah, he gets it. <laughs> Benedict, yep. what's a treat you gave yourself recently? Uh, the Democrats winning the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it was my first vote. So... You just walked into the grocery store. Mm, I think I'm going to... Mm. You know, they have that rack. It's the impulse yeah. buys by the checkout. Okay. Well, I'm going to have some Democrats winning the Senate. Right, I deserve it. Right now, as we speak, I am, uh, well, potatoes are being roasted for, <laughs> or baked rather, for stuffed <laughs> potato skins. Which I will be eating Ooh, after yeah. this. After okay, I thought you show. were gonna just say roasted potatoes. No, no, there. no, no. Which, while okay. great, I would not deign to bring those as a treat that I gave myself. <laughs> no, uh, I will be making potato skins as soon as I'm done with this podcast. So you might hear me nice. rushing through some things. <laughs> nice. What's going in them? What's going uh, in them? Scallion, butter, mm-hmm. smoked paprika, bacon, uh, cheddar cheese and uh, maybe a little cayenne, just a little. We both know you have no shortage of cheddar cheese. I have a lot of cheddar cheese. <laughs> no, I have every cheese but fucking cheddar. Because they're like, oh, would you like this? This is months after yeah. you stopped getting the cheese yeah. baskets and you still have so would much you, cheese. Would you like this stinky cheese that isn't good <laughs> from some farm in Vermont? Sure, why not? You know what's, what's terrible for you is that the reaction you've given me mm. to your birthday present this year ensures Mm. that your birthday presents are going to be ridiculous I from here on out. I don't want to get into a birthday present war that goes <laughs> in the wrong direction. I would rather it escalated in terms of like, oh, I bought you a gold bullion bar. Top that, bitch. <laughs> like, that's fine. I don't... Directly from Alex Jones. Don't... Yeah. <laughs> I don't need like the worst gifts that we can give each other, but that are okay. still remarkably okay. expensive. Um, <laughs> what about your treat for yourself? Ah, my treat for myself. Uh, my partner has been out of town on vacation for the last week, um, uh, which means I get to cook whatever I want, mm. uh, which is which is amazing because my partner is an incredibly picky eater, okay. um, which annoys me to no end. Uh, so I made myself curry udon the other Ooh, night, nice. which was just magnificent. God, I had a gigantic bowl of it and I just sat there uh, completely full and content and not a care in the world. Just total deliciousness, mm. uh, and that's really what I needed. But, Benedict, um, you might know, I, I think, probably. Probably at this uh, point, yeah. What it is. That, well, uh, there are some things that make me question whether you do. Mm. Uh, what it is that we do here on this program, and to them I will say, wait, did I do that whole thing right? I think I fucked, it up. fucked it up. Some people don't, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Uh, them I will say, this is the show where we go deep 
deep, deep, deep to plumb the depths of right wing thought. So you didn't even do the fucking from... translated <laughs> I, version. I couldn't I come up with listening. another language to do you it. You couldn't come up with another language. <laughs> You're through like three languages. You couldn't come I don't up know, with what's a... deep in German? Uh, uh, doip, doip, doip. <laughs> um, <laughs> our handful of German listeners who I do see yeah, on our map when I look at it are going to be like, that's not how you said deep in German. This is very offensive. The, um, I think that was more expensive, whatever the fuck that was. That was a spot-on German accent is what that was. That, uh, that was a spot-on impression of Robert Evans doing a German accent <laughs> is what that was. By reviewing a chapter from the work of conservative nonfiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Better to start us off. <laughs> yeah, I have a hot take for us this week. I do. Isn't it nice that the worst fucking thing didn't happen for once? Yeah. That is my yeah. that is my hot yeah. I know we still might lose the house, probably still will lose the house, but mm-hmm. we might gain a seat in the Senate. How good is that? Isn't it nice great. to be and also you were fucking wrong. That's my hot take. But, hey, and you. that's my hot yeah. take. I have never been so happy to be wrong. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, I was right for once. Well not for once. I was right. As usual. I mean I think I think on our our last episode, I listed off like four people. I said like Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, and uh, I forget who the other one I listed was. Probably Herschel Walker uh, would all be in our government. I said no to Blake Masters, and I was right. Yeah, and and hey, only one of those four actually won. So I am legitimately very going as we record. It is. I haven't seen it called yet, but. I, I mean, I, I, so I constantly have it up on my screens. I have it right here next to me right now. And according to the Reuters results, uh, right now, Katie Hobbs is leading with 50.8%, 1,166,000 votes, to Kerry Lake's 49.2, 1,130,000 votes. Mm. So it's still tight. And it says 89% of expected votes counted. So that one, too close to call still. Yep. Uh, we'll see where it goes. But God, I want Carrie Lake to lose so fucking mm-hmm, bad. Me too. That would be just icing on the cake. It'd be really fantastic. She's a nightmare of a human being. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I for, sort of expected we would both have the same mm-hmm. hot take or be in the same arena today. Yeah, so, there's still a, there's still a chance that we could win the house, which is insane. I don't think that's gonna. Happen. I don't I think, think so it's either. A lot of but it's thinking, but uh, look, it, it's it's close it's, enough. If it's close enough that two people retire and it switches, or you know, right. at, like you know, it, it's close enough that a bad case of food poisoning in the house uh, could could result in a flip of of control of the house. Yeah, right? which is crazy. Yeah, yep, pretty outstanding. But Benedict, let's go on. What's on your bookshelf this week? I I have just purchased a new book actually that I'm really excited to read. Um, I'm going to hold it up to the camera so that you can see. Yep. Uh, yep. As we do. Yeah. Yeah. I can't read Hoff- the author. Is that Hofstetter? Hofstetter, yeah. Ah, uh, uh, so yeah. Richard Hofstetter. It's Intellectualism in American Life by Richard Hofstetter, which I feel like ties into what we do quite nicely. I mean, we have, we have referenced Hofstetter we in have, the past. Yeah, yeah. He is the... He is the author of The Paranoid Style in American Politics, yep. uh, um, the seminal work on the issue. I found I found that in the bookstore while I was buying cookbooks the other day. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. Um, Very nice. Yeah, I've read his American Political Tradition, which is good. Um, that uh, we'll Just read Richard Hofstadter. Uh, that's that's yeah. a, a good start. Um, but I think anti-intellectualism in American life, I am excited to read because... It ties in quite nicely with what we do, and it might make me sound I'm, I'm a little I'm not even going to ask if you read the Paxton book that I sent you months I, ago I now. I actually. I am. I am getting through it. It's. It's. I'm not going to say it's dry. I just am. Like it's. 
it's rough. It's you an know, academic it, work. It's, it's not, difficult it's not to even read. that. It's just when we do this all the time, it's not like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to go read about a different subject. It's like, here it fucking is again. Fascism's <laughs> on the way. It's always so, the same Yeah, it's it. the rise of fucking fascism just in every corner of my life, except in the election. So that's good. Um, yep. What about you, Bookshelf? Mine this week, Benedict, I am recommending the Weird Al Yankovic movie, <laughs> which I think is called Weird Al Yankovic the movie. I don't remember exactly what <laughs> sure. it's called, actually. <laughs> but Daniel Radcliffe is amazing. He fucking mm. kills it. It's it's Does fantastic. He? Um, it's everything I wanted out of Daniel Radcliffe, for whatever reason, after Harry Potter, has just been taking roles, I think, because he's fucking rich as hell, right? He doesn't yeah, what do you mean for whatever reason? Because he never needs to work again. Right. He gets to do stuff that he finds interesting and fun, and luckily he is a very interesting guy uh, yeah. who is, you know, has a quirky side and is into fun stuff that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've mentioned, I think, on the show that Weird Al Yankovic was my, the first concert I ever went to in my life. Was a Weird Al concert. That's uh, a weird one. Yeah, in Manteca, California. Ooh, um, Lard, California. Okay. <laughs> I don't look. I have no regrets. I have no regrets for that being my first concert. I am. I, I am a Weird Al stan all the way. Uh-huh. Uh, like I, I remember or the reason why I eventually went to that is like at one point I was I got one of his albums at like the uh, Tower Records. Uh, mm-hmm. Back when they were still doing CDs, and I don't remember which one it was, but it had I think it had the Albuquerque song on it, um, and, and I, I don't remember any of the others. But probably like a greatest hits thing, um, and I would listen to it all the time. And then at one point for like my birthday or something, I got a DVD with a bunch of Weird Al music videos, and I like made the whole family watch that. And it had like the Eat It music video, which was a shot for shot remake of Beat It. It had the Amish Paradise music video. It had uh, Smells Like Nirvana. I remember all these. And so That's just to weird. surprise me, uh, my mom uh, got tickets to go see Weird Al, and I, I fucking loved it. It was great. It was amazing. Uh, so fun. go check out the movie. It's really fantastic. I think everyone should probably see it. It's it's okay. probably the most informative documentary you'll ever see in your life. Document. Uh, <laughs> But Benedict on to housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes and the Stitchers and the other places where you can leave stars or thumbs or other things. But don't leave your thumbs. Don't leave no. your thumbs. Uh, remember to follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen. I have a couple of updates here this week, just to let you all know. Uh, we mentioned on the last episode the Sipsy Street Irregulars blog that was run by Mike Vanderboo. Um... I didn't mention the funniest thing about that blog to me, which is that it was a .blogspot.com blog, which I, I just, <laughs> I felt like I had to point out. Otherwise, that would eat into me and, uh, you know, that, that wasn't supposed to happen. No, uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> .blogspot.com, uh, you, you fucking goddamn uh, fucker. Yeah, don't fuck up <laughs> on me, computer. Uh, another update. Uh, Stuart Rhodes, uh, we mentioned this before on the show, but I thought I better remind everyone because I realized during the editing that I didn't mention it on last week's episode. He did not lose his eye during his military service. Mm. That was from an accident where his dumb fat hands dropped a loaded gun and shot himself in the face. Awesome. And I feel like it's important. That's probably the most important fact about Stuart that you should know. Because he loves to play the tough guy and seem like he's all important. Dumbass shot himself in the face. That's the fucking Stuart you should know about. Uh, And last update, I incorrectly said that All in the Family was the show with Al Bundy uh, in response to Ben's uh, Ted Bundy statement. Uh, We were were sort of riffing on Bundys. Uh, The actual show is Married with Children. 
And of oh, course, okay. YouTuber Jose, who I do love, did do a great video on Married with Children, sort of uh, encapsulating the entire series. So you should definitely go check that out if you're interested. But Benedict, we have some inductees into the spooky world, New World Order bleh, this week. We have mm. two, two brand new patrons, Ooh. as a matter of fact. So, so Allison, you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Bleh. And I'm I'm going to mispronounce this because I I don't know. It is K A T R Y N. I'm gonna say Katrin. Katrin, surely. Cat Katrin Katrin Adams. If yeah. you, I, I know I got it wrong. Reach out to me and tell me how to do it properly. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Thank you both so very much, Benedict. If other people would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, I'm fucking up our run-through this week. It feels like something's weird. I don't know yep. what I'm doing. If you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order... Me? Of course, you I can thought tweet. I was already part of it. <laughs> you can tweet or post about the show on social media. I'm and recommend the co-chair. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we need a triumvirate. There needs to be a triumvirate for the Spooky World Well, New your World dog order. is the third one. Surely. Okay, yeah, that works out. <laughs> Uh, recommend it on social media. Others, send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity. Become a patron. Or just get my attention with something good. Benedict, all that out of the way. Let's get to our Alex Jones clip for the day. And I think I've fallen into sort of trying to make our Alex Jones clip tie in in some way to what we've read this week. Mm. And it's going to be very apparent to you how this ties in. But uh, I'm not going to reveal to you what Alex and his guest here are talking about as far as the event as relates to the individual in question, who you will know, it's Ronald Reagan. That's mm. how it ties into this week's chapter. Reagan comes up at one point. He does. Um, when we get to that point in the chapter, I'm going to ask if you can guess what it was that this individual, whose name is Bob Chapman, by the way, um, I'll tell you a little bit about him after we play the clip, uh, what it was that he witnessed. And trust me, you're not going to fucking know. You're okay. going to have no goddamn clue what it is that Bob Chapman claims to have witnessed. So here's okay. our clip for today. Well, I mean, now that you've said this incredibly dangerous thing, and I don't doubt you, Bob, you're not somebody I've ever heard uh, feed people lies or baloney, and I'm actually, few things actually kind of give me a pang of fear, like standing at the edge of a cliff. I'm pretty freaked out right now. And not even judging Reagan if he was like that. It just freaks me out, the power of that knowledge. I mean, I mean, I do know that you are a conservative icon and did run with a lot of the big guys because you were wealthy and lived in California and were politically involved. Maybe that's why they've always been after you since, but I mean, you have you, I mean, what did you witness with Reagan? Or, I mean, this is dangerous stuff. We might as well just get this out now. I saw a film. And I was also told by his girlfriend before he married Nancy. Oh, man. Man, this is making me sick right now. So, so we're not done with the clip, but Benedict. Do you, have a pre- do you have a preliminary guess as to what it is that Bob Chapman claims to have witnessed? Ronald Reagan doing. Yeah. On a video. Yeah, yeah. Uh You're gonna be so wrong. No matter what you say, you're gonna be so <laughs> fucking wrong. <laughs> um why not go for something crazy like uh initiating a threesome with a USSR spy? Incorrect. Incorrect. Right. Okay. So And by sick, it's and, just making uh, me sick. Only a handful to, of people left who know this. Most of them are now deceased. Uh, there's one that uh, is alive that I know of uh, that knew this. And 
But I also got it from another source. Now, when you worked uh, earlier on, you were with Defense Intelligence, correct? But previously in 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 Berlin. No, uh, <laughs> I was in Germany, uh, but, but quite frankly, I was never in. Okay, I love I love the you were in Berlin. No, I was in Germany. <laughs> no, I think okay. I know what I know. I know. I know, but it's just great. It's just great. I, yeah, all right. But also, I mean, it's it's Alex spinning some of his bullshit, right? Spinning his narrative about this bullshit. Bob Chapman was had no fucking involvement in anything. I'll tell you what he really did for a living. But Bob Chapman correcting Alex and, and you know, realizing, I think, partway through that he's fucking up Alex's narrative and having also, to correct. There's like a 50% chance this guy is a, a mark for USSR intelligence services then. <laughs> I would I would say that's like a 50/50. Maybe mm, even think, maybe even higher. Yeah. I would guess Bob Chapman has been fooled by by Soviet disinfo at least once in his oh, life. Oh god, yeah. Of course. Of course he fucking has. We're in Berlin. And they wouldn't let me go to Berlin. Uh, unless they flew me in and there was no reason okay. to do that. Where did you I mean in what context did you see this uh, of this film? Uh the, the film I saw at a private showing and most of the people who are there, I didn't even know. And it was by an invitation only. Was this a group of conservatives freaked out by it, or was this people wanting to blackmail him? No, it's a this is, you know, this is just, if you ever watched Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm. I love playing this game where they used to have, like, Colin Mockery in front of a green screen, and he doesn't know what's going on behind him, and he yep. has to guess based on what questions are being asked of him. I feel like that's the game we're playing, and I love it so much. It, it might be. <laughs> so I think it was quite a cross-section of people. And, um, and that's where I started. But I learned before that <sighs> that that was the case. And, uh, From the girlfriend. That's right. And I don't know whether she's still alive or not. Uh, she would probably be um, in her late 80s or 90s now. Okay, pause for a sec. So that, that's the end of the clip. That's the end of the clip. Okay, no, no. But have you seen Dairy Girls? Uh, you showed me a few episodes, I think, one okay. time when I that's stayed fine. over at your place. Okay. The, for anyone that watches Dairy Girls, this, the Bob Chapman guy is giving me Uncle Colm vibes. That's <laughs> That's all I will say. I'm sure people, that's funny. People that I'm watch sure it, that's it is funny. funny. It is okay. funny. Go ahead. What <laughs> so are they Bob talking about? Chapman, Benedict. Bob Chapman. What do you think Bob Chapman does for a living? Just another oh, guess. Uh, he is a blogger. Nope. Nope. Uh, as a matter of fact, Bob Chapman is a precious metals dealer. Oh, uh, fuck. I was going to say that. In that course. he sells gold. <laughs> he sells gold. He sells yeah, gold. Yeah. And specifically, Benedict, he sold Rhodesian and South African gold. Uh, he lived mean... in Rhodesia right. for a period of years when Rhodesia still existed as a white man selling gold from the country. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Bob Chapman did. Bob Chapman is a, is a very disgusting racist piece of shit um, who, as I said, made his living selling South African and Rhodesian gold uh, in, in saying that things were better under apartheid. Uh, and his relationship with Alex comes through Ted Anderson who owns the, I can't remember the name of the network off the top of my head, but the network that Alex's show is broadcast on um, is, is owned by Ted Anderson, who also sells gold. And that's okay. why Ted Anderson was constantly on Alex's show selling gold. Trying to, to sell gold. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's how it always went. So I won't tell you now what they were talking about. You can think about it, and when we get to that point of the chapter today, 
We'll see if you can figure out what Bob Chapman claims to have seen happen on film. Is it meeting with one with Brzezinski or whatever his name? No, Benedict is so much better than that. It's so much better and so much worse than that at the same time. But with all that out of the way, Benedict, we continue our book review of The Great Reset by Alex Jones, a real bootlicker's bootlicker. And Benedict, what do we read this week? Well, we read the second half of the Who's Responsible for This Garbage Mm -hmm. chapter, which I think is chapter three. three. Yeah. in which, honestly, I was a little disappointed. Mm. This Why? is the, I, I no. Please don't adjust your sets or turn <laughs> off your radios. But this is the this is the. I don't know. It just it felt a little like more Lavinny than it has done. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's cribbing very heavily in the second half of the chapter from two books. I'll tell you what they are right off the top. Uh, one is David Rockefeller's memoirs titled Memoirs. Very creative, David. Uh, and the second one is a book by Zbigniew Brzezinski, who we know he hates, right? Which is titled, if I can just find where that is here somewhere, blah, 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 blah. America's role in the, the yes, between two yes. ages, America's role in the techn- technotronic right. era. Which is a book from 1970 by Zbigniew Brzezinski. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, it, it is a lot of big block quoting in this portion of the chapter, more so than the first half of the chapter. And then misstating what the block quotes say. Yeah, and and I will say also blatantly lying about the text that either immediately precedes or comes after the the text that he quotes um, mm-hmm. in the book. If, like it's it's the case as often happens with a m- number of our authors that you know the text as a whole often refutes the point they're trying to make mm-hmm. uh, by by block quoting from it. It's not as often uh, that something like this happens where the sentence immediately before what they quote shows that they're full of shit like that's more obvious and blatant lying than Mm -hmm. we're used to getting and i i come to think it's probably because as we know this is alex jones nobody really actually fucking edited this thing they just put it out how they were gonna put it out but the chapter begins on or the second half where we left off last time begins on page 54 with quote In 2002, when he was 87 years old, David Rockefeller published his 517-page autobiography, Memoirs. Which, not to quibble, and I know this is the least big problem in the chapter, Mm -hmm. but a memoir and an autobiography are different things. They are Mm -hmm. different genres within within the biographical uh, framework of literature. Memoirs are not the same as an autobiography, but that's fine. Yeah. Also, also not to quibble again, uh, but the version that I found on the Internet Archives is 593 pages, ah, well, not 517. Eh, okay. Different versions. You it know how se- it goes. It honestly, seems weird to put the page number in there. <laughs> I know. I think he just wants to point out that it's long. Yeah. I don't know. You, I mean, he's lived 87. I couldn't fit my life into 517 pages. I've done almost nothing and I'm not 87. <laughs> This guy was a Rockefeller. I would be writing. Imagine how much Henry Kissinger would put in his autobiography memoirs. Oh, God. First, I killed the Cambodians. And then, (laughs) yeah. As I saw the life drain out of the cat's eyes, I realized (laughs) my future. Uh, But he tells us that chapter 27, which is the only one he's going to be dealing with, is titled Proud Internationalist. Uh, and indeed, it is titled that. That is the title. Um, wow, first fact. Okay. <laughs> and as I said, I did find this on the Internet Archive. I will be linking to it in the show notes. And the main thrust of this chapter, if I had to say, is that David Rockefeller, when this book was published, which I think was in 2002-ish, yeah, um, 
is very self-aware of the fact that conspiracy theorists think he's a blood-drinking, you know, goat demon here to yeah, bring in a new world Yeah, which is really order. funny. He's like, hey, everyone thinks I am evil, and that's kind of funny because I don't... This whole thing is like... Oh, people outside of the political system have political influence. Mm -hmm. That's like the theme of this whole chapter. Like, yeah, no shit. Like, how do you think America works? Right. And it's that thing we have to point out again, where obviously people like David Rockefeller, who are immensely wealthy, do have more influence in our politics than the average person. And mm-hmm. and that's, you know, not great. That's not a good thing. Yeah, we don't want is, that. I, we agree that's bad. None of us want that. But it's very different than Alex Jones's conspiracy that these people are running a shadow organization to create a new world order and, you know, mm-hmm. depopulate the world and make you eat bugs. It's mm-hmm. very, very different. And he, in these first couple pages here, does play sort of a selective moderation of his own position game where he pretends that his only issue with this is that David Rockefeller has wealth and influence. When we- It's also, uh, just, sorry, just to riff on what you were saying, why would that be what they did? Like, <laughs> oh, they've got so much power now, they're going to make you eat bugs. That is the last thing on their list. Right. There is no, like, what? Why is that the thing that they're like, well, the rich people want us to eat bugs, and that's the only conspiracy, that's the only thing that they're going to do now that they've got all this power. Like, what? Why would that be? Why would that be the thing that they want to do? Well, it's that thing I keep going back to where these conspiracies only make sense if you put as the motives of your big bads. The only thing they really care about is power, which is why we hear that a lot from the right, because that's the only thing that makes the conspiracies make sense. So, yeah, power. Making people eat bugs makes you feel powerful. That's what it's all about. The only way any of this jives in any sort of way. So the first big block quote he gives us from David Rockefeller, I will read just to give you a taste of what this is like. He He's so mad that he was in the same room as Fidel Castro yeah. once. By the way, which is at just, the UN. At the UN. Yeah, at, where <laughs> Fidel Castro was invited as head of the Cuban state, yeah. which, again, we can quibble with. But, you know, like... And I gotta say, like, I I read the entire chapter of uh, Rockefeller's memoirs just to make sure I had everything that was going on in there. Um, And Rockefeller is actually, I mean, his writing is actually sort of endearing. Um, It's Mm. not badly, it's not badly written. It's, it's, it's charming in the way that like rich British people are charming mm -hmm. and you don't realize that they're being evil at the same time. Right. (laughs) But he's also, how many people are you exploiting while being (laughs) affable and avuncular? Well, I need my tea. Yeah, uh, and so and so people have to die. <laughs> but he's very self-aware of that meeting with Castro, and he comments about how, oh, I knew when it was happening that was going to be a, on all the newspapers immediately. I fucking knew it, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah, that's what he is. He's like, and it's like, yeah, they put it on all the newspapers. The communist and the capitalist meeting at the UN. Blah blah blah. He says that. Uh, but so the quote goes: "Quote." For more than a century, ideological extremists at either end of the political spectrum have seized upon well-publicized incidents, such as my encounter with Castro to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence they claim we wield over American political and economic institutions. Some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. It's the... It, I I really wanted Alex Jones to just put, you know, the, the guy going, Oh my god, he admitted from <laughs> I think you should leave. 
memes. No, I that really want Alex so much better than the really, rest of this chapter. I really want Alex to not know which I think you should leave meme to use and do the hot dog. That's the one I really want. But put to do. the wrong text on it, just being like, "Oh my god, he admitted." Oh, that would be the most Alex thing ever. No, no, he would just do the the shirts with the patterns. It would be all the patterned shirts because he just likes that one. That's what he would. Do. God damn. But he says about that quote. Quote, it's a bold paragraph which does several things. First, he paints himself as a centrist by claiming that he's attacked by the ideological extremists at either end of the political spectrum. Kind of like Black did. I mean, he is, though. David Rockefeller is attacked by those people. Alex! Alex, you are attacking him right now! I also don't think he's a centrist. He's center-right. Rockefeller, I have no idea. I mean, I, I really don't know about his politics so much. I, he's he's pro internationalist. He's pro international cooperation. I don't know. Where I would he say, stands yeah, on ne- neocon of some form. Yeah, I something guess, along yeah. those lines, probably. Uh, he continues. He mentions the claims of those who assert he's a part of a group of internationalists, and instead of denying these claims, he proudly confesses to being a supporter of an integrated global political and economic structure, one world, if you will. It's a disarming approach. So he does sort of does do there that he admitted it kind of thing, yeah. really. But skipping over to the next page, after another Rockefeller quote, he says, quote, Let's imagine we put David Rockefeller in the witness chair of a courtroom and cross-examine him. He's the head of one of the largest banks in the world and criticizes the critics of the left and the right who question how Rockefeller and his fellow rich people are manipulating the world's economy. If we weren't dazzled by Rockefeller's wealth, would we accept him as a credible person to discount the claim that wealthy bankers were controlling a lot of the world? No, we would not. I really didn't understand. Like, I had to read that like four times. It was so badly written. Well, that's, I think, that selective moderation of Alex's position that I talked about. Mm-hmm. I think that's where that's going on there. Because Alex's position is not that the Rockefellers, uh, are con- uh, wealthy bankers, are controlling a lot of the world. Alex's position is that wealthy bankers are the shadow government who have complete control over everything that happens in our lives. They are creating vaccines for the purpose of killing you, and they want you poor and broke and depopulating the world and enslaved, and they want you to eat bugs. Mm-hmm. That is Alex's also, position. He's also basically like, would we be even listening to him if he wasn't wealthy and powerful? No, like, probably not. I wouldn't I wouldn't be listening to him if you hadn't brought him up. Yeah. Like yeah. he is not that influential as a person. He's dead for a start. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember when he died, but it was it was 2000s sometime. Uh yeah, but yeah again, you know, ago. it's it's the whole thing. This is him moderating his because that is a reasonable critique, right? David Rockefeller does have an immense amount of influence did when he was alive. Mm-hmm. And and that's a bad thing. But that's mm-hmm. again not Alex's position. So he has to moderate, pretend that's his position, that makes it seem a lot more reasonable than it actually is. We just have to be aware of that. But the next thing I noted was that he jumps to next the discussion of the Trilateral Commission. And Mm -hmm. that was notable for me because in Rockefeller's book, in that chapter, the next organization he talks about is actually the Bilderberg Group. Oh, interesting. And it's like, Alex... You miss he missed the Bilderberg group? Bilderberg is your thing. You you've been yeah. talking about Bilderberg for years. Wow. Why did you skip over Bilderberg? And I have yeah. to think it's just like a disconnect between Alex and his ghostwriter 
about Alex's narratives and the things that he... Because Alex didn't read the Rockefeller book. No fucking way. He just mm. reviewed the manuscript that his ghostwriter sent him and said, ah, it looks good to me. So Alex probably has no idea there was discussion of the Bilderberg group even in that chapter. But he says about it, and this is from Rockefeller. This is a quote from Rockefeller. Quote, No organization with which I played a founding role has attracted as much public scrutiny and attention as the Trilateral Commission. Pat Robertson has insisted that Trilateral is trying to create a world government and claims that it springs from the depths of something evil. My son Richard, when he was a student at Harvard in the 1970s, told me his friends assumed that Trilateral was part of a nefarious conspiracy. And then we get the best, the fucking best after that. Well, if Harvard students think it's a conspiracy, (laughs) these are some of the brightest young minds in the country. So what else could it be? He really goes there. He really says that. His response to that blog quote is, quote, If we have a little different take on what Rockefeller is saying, he admits that presumably some of the smartest students in the country, those at Harvard University, didn't trust the Trilateral Commission. It's like, wow. The guy who claims that college students are brainwashed now wants to rely on college students as his source of whether the Trilateral Commission is evil or not. That's great. That's great. Do you know about the Trilateral Commission, by the way? I know it's come uh, up in some of our other stuff in the past, not, but... Not beyond the things we've read. No. Yeah, the, so the Trilateral Commission, just so you know, it came up obviously in the last chapter we did. Uh, it was created in the 70s by Rockefeller, Zbigniew Brzezinski, and of course we mentioned uh, that Jimmy Carter was on uh, as one of the founding members of it. And basically it was an organization built to increase cooperation and collaboration between America, Western Europe, and Japan. Uh, Rockefeller has a big thing for Japan. I guess maybe he'd be really into anime if he was still still alive today. Uh, but he was always really big on bringing Japan further into the fold of the international community, and that's really what the Trilateral Commission was about. And, you know, they, they go and get a bunch of people who are really either, you know, rich or smart or, you know, high up in politics and get them involved, and that's all it is. It's a, it's a discussion group. It's a group to increase communication and collaboration. That's really all okay. it is. So it's um, like the CFR, but... Exactly. Exactly. It is. And, and Rockefeller, also a member of the CFR. Also a yeah. former chairman of the CFR. But we don't get mention of that in here either. Which blew my fucking mind. Like, come yeah. on, man. Uh, but so... He sort of outlines, Rockefeller does in the quote they give, about what this was about and how this was about bringing Japan and everyone together. And after the recovery from World War II, everything is changing and they needed to, you know, find some way to deal with all those sorts of changes. Is the gist of what Rockefeller is talking about. But there's also this discussion of Rockefeller shitting on populists in here. Um, and Rockefeller does do that in the text, right? Like, is so. This- Sorry, just quickly. Is this the Rockefeller that denounced the John Birch Society or is this a different Rockefeller? Oh, God. I don't remember if that was David or if that was his dad. Uh, no, that was his dad. Was that was Nelson. his dad, yeah. That was yeah. Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, that is one of the reasons why the hard right to this day has a hard on for the Rockefeller family, right? Because they don't the care about reason, billionaires. Though. Right. They, they, they have nothing against Elon Musk. It's not about being a billionaire or wielding, you know, too much influence. Um, yeah. There's probably some other things there. Yeah, there's probably some other things there. Some stuff about them that they don't like. But so in yeah. the chapter of Rockefeller's book, he he names these sort of conspiracy theorists. He actually he calls them conspiracy theorists, people who say all this stuff about the Rockefeller family and whatnot, and says that it's you know it's a populist uh, group that is doing all these conspiracies. Um, he even sort of says that populism is inherently conspiratorial. 
You sounded like you were going to say Maybe. something. No, sorry. Um, I was repressing a yawn. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that in the show. No, I'm just going to leave that because, in the fucking show. I'm not editing it out. No, because not I'm editing bored. it out. Let people know how boring you think I am. No, no, no. <laughs> David Rockefeller was 101 when he died. Holy oh, shit. What year did yeah. he die? Uh, 2017. Jesus! Why did I think it yeah. was a lot earlier than that? Holy because fuck. he wrote as memoirs in 2002 yeah. when he was 87 years Jesus old. That is a Christ. reasonable thing. I mean, uh, I guess maybe Alex has a conspiracy that he's not actually dead. Maybe, maybe yeah, that's part of it. or that he survived by like feeding bugs to children and then eating the children. I don't know. Yeah, brain like in that. a jar. Brain in a jar. Yep. Uh, but so he points out, Rockefeller does, right, that they got all these great minds together for the Trilateral Commission. Uh, There's basically a delegation from each country that was part of the Trilateral... It, it still exists, the Trilateral Commission does. So basically, like, each country is their own group and they have these annual meetings and stuff. And like I said, it's mm. basically a group for collaboration and discussion and whatnot. Um, and Alex says about that, quote, how could anybody, anybody possibly object to one of the world's richest men bringing together the most powerful and influential people of America, Western Europe, and Japan in the early 1970s? Of course, the rich and powerful always have such get-togethers because they want to do enormous good for the common people. Read that as sarcastically as you can. The very idea that such get-togethers might be to retain or increase their power is an incre in an increasingly democratic world, well, it should be banned from all media. So there's several things in there that stick out to me. One, again, the focus on power being the only goal of these people. Mm. That, that always comes out. But secondly, is that Alex's ghostwriter slips up there and says that we have an increasingly democratic world. Alex, it, it, it's, a, it's a republic. It's a republic, not a democracy. What yeah. are you talking about? What, what, are you, what are you possibly talking about? Democracy is bad. You know this. Uh, no, he's already said democracy he means in the sense. Of I know, but I just hate that this fucking guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he points out, obviously, that Jimmy Carter was there. And he has a big block quote from Rockefeller about Jimmy Carter. Uh, and Jimmy, And he wrote in the memoirs, basically, that, you know, it was a surprise to him that Jimmy Carter ended up winning the presidency. Uh, Rockefeller didn't think he would. He thought he would be unsuccessful. And then when Jimmy Carter came into office, he had a bunch of trilateral folks come on with him because that was basically the trilateral commission was how Jimmy Carter got experience in international relations. So that's where he met and he brought them on as his advice. That's not crazy at all. It's not really no. crazy. Also, I mean, as you come up in politics, like the people who help you tend to get jobs. That's just how it goes. Right. <laughs> Right, because you choose the people you want to hang out with. Yeah, exactly. It's not also. I don't know if we got there yet, but um, like they keep he keeps like quote quoting the obscure Democratic governor of Georgia. Yeah, no governor is obscure. I'm sorry, like it's not like he was like the mayor of a small town. Like it's, yeah, I kn that might be Rockefeller's own words, but he's not obscure. That's silly. It is Rockefeller's own words. I think like you know. Probably the case. I could not tell you right now who is the governor of Idaho. I could tell no, you that's Iowa. True. That's Kim Reynolds. I couldn't okay, tell you Georgia Idaho. Georgia is fairly it, like, yeah, it's that's a bigger a fairly state. Big state. It's generally outside, you know, outside of the big states: New York, California, Texas. You know, I can name those governors, uh, mm -hmm. but you know, a lot of the other states, they're not as well known. So I think maybe obscure. Uh, Maybe, Maybe it's not the I right know. word, I but I could I could I could name most governors of the non flyover. States. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah? Montana. So. Tell That's me. That's a flyover state. <laughs> uh, let's see. Arizona. You don't fucking know right now. <laughs> there isn't one. 
He retired. Uh, anyways. But... Doug Ducey. Whatever his name <laughs> is. Okay. But uh, uh, Alex says about this quote uh, where, uh, where, where Rockefeller mentions this uh, obscure Democratic governor of Georgia. He says, quote, now Shit, even that though was Jay- right. Doug Ducey is the governor of Arizona. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> he says, quote, now even though James Earl Carter was an obscure Democratic governor of Georgia, what might have made him such an attractive recruit for the Trilateral Commission? Could it have been that he was trained in the Navy as a nuclear engineer, making no. him an ideal acolyte for this new religion of scientism in which engineers and scientists would be the new high priests? That's not it. I promise no. you that's not it. I promise you that's absolutely not it. <laughs> that is, I mean, I love that line. Jimmy Carter, just... the fa- famous like engineer in the White House. What's Jimmy Carter known for? Being a peanut farmer <laughs> while he's an engineer now. So I also I think that these people think that nuclear engineer um, in the Navy context means something vastly different than it does. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I, I don't know anybody who's ever been a nuclear engineer, uh, but my understanding of that role is is someone who actually works on the things that run the ships and the carriers and stuff. Yeah. Right. That's generally how it works. It's not like nuclear scientist. It's, no. you know, obviously a much more highly uh, uh, skilled role. Uh, you know, I don't want to say highly skilled, but involves a lot more training and knowledge than other roles would. Mm. Um, but it, but it's not like Einstein. It, it's not like yeah. somebody doing theoretical no particle it, physics. It, yeah, exactly. It's also very funny to pick the one guy that's like, in the last like 60 plus years, the closest to the Republican ideal of the working farming <laughs> man who to become president. Like he's the closest to that. He's a country boy who owned a peanut farm and became president. Yep. He's a scientist. They made him gonna... sell his peanut farm. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah Cause the emoluments thing. Yep. Um, yep. It yeah, anyway, wild. it's very funny that they're like, yeah, he's the scientist that we hate when he should be the one that they love. But yeah, he's just playing up this whole, oh, isn't it just coincidence that the Trilateral Commission got this nuclear scientist who then went on to be president? Isn't that just coincidental? Isn't yep. it just crazy? And I, I, at this point, wrote in my notes here, I mean, apparently the Trilateral Commission is so powerful that it can elect a one-term president widely known for his failures more than his successes. <laughs> Particularly on, like, environmentalism and, yeah, anyway. Really, it is just wild to me. Like, he's not well known for being a successful president. Like, yeah, he's known for the... stagflation. Yeah. God. Yeah. But he says, quote. That is actually a great, I hadn't thought of that. That's a great yeah. point. Yeah, uh, but he says, and then quote, to have him replaced with Ronald Reagan, who none of them like. <laughs> that must have set some all-time political record from starting your organization in 1973 to winning the presidency in 1976. I don't think to the Trilateral Commission won the presidency. It didn't. Yeah, no, but I mean, of course, in Alex's worldview, it, it, these are the secret organizations that actually run the world, right? You know what? Won, you know what actually won the presidency? Richard Nixon actually being corrupt. <laughs> yeah, that that's might have what had won Democrats the presidency. You know, you know, you know what actually won the presidency? Chevy fucking Chase. That's who won <laughs> sure. the presidency. Doing sure. his skit of of Gerald Ford falling. That's who won the presidency for Jimmy. Honestly, probably had a big deal to do with why Jimmy Carter won the presidency. Mm-hmm. Is the portrayal of Gerald Ford as a complete klutz and know nothing. Uh, 
But, he says, uh, uh, winning the presidency in 1976 and stocking the cabinet with fellow members. And while some who know their history will no doubt recollect that Carter quickly became bogged down in various problems such as the Iranian hostage crisis, runaway inflation, and gas shortages, even a new president from the opposing party couldn't seem to break free of the Trilateral Commission. And that's where we get to him talking about Ronald Reagan and how Reagan's, uh, 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 what uh, what do you call it? There's a word. There's a word for this. Uh, my brain's not working today. Administration is the word, mm. Benedict. Why didn't you wow. help me? I don't know. I, I had no <laughs> idea where you were going. His administration was infiltrated mm. by trilaterallers. In you... that he put them in a position of power. Is that you know the... how a George, someone from Georgia, is a Georgian? What do you call yeah. someone who's from the Trilateral Commission? A trilateralite. Uh, trilaterite. Trilaterite. I like it. Trilateralian? Ah, trilateralian. I like that one. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, because uh, it's a gal- No. Yeah. yeah. All right. I like go it. On. I like it. Uh, I don't care if it's correct grammatically or not. I just like it. Okay. But. So he has this paragraph from Rockefeller about Reagan and how uh, uh, there were people, uh, Reagan eventually invited uh, the membership of the Trilateral Commission to the White House in 1984. And then Alex writes this, and he says, quote, When I read that paragraph, it only brings a sense of sadness to me, seeming to show that Reagan also had to eventually knuckle under the power of the globalists. Maybe he just wanted to keep his enemies close. Maybe it was simply about retaining power the common flaw of most political leaders. Now, Benedict, this is the part where I ask you, can you tell me what Alex and Bob Chapman were talking about in that clip we played at the beginning of the episode? What did Bob Chapman see? Rockefeller meeting Reagan, I don't know. No, Benedict. Ronald Reagan getting pegged. (laughs) (laughs) That is what... Bob Chapman claims to have seen a video of okay, that is <laughs> at a not, private party. <laughs> that is not impossible for me to have guessed. I was like, I was like, I was not that far from that in my mind. Honestly, it is less less you know, exciting than, than I was I a considered. little worried. I was a little worried that you were going to do your superpower of going so far off the deep end and accidentally being right. <laughs> yeah. I nearly said something along those lines genuinely. <laughs> wow. So we have an audio clip of no, Alex. I don't want to hear Ronald Reagan getting pegged, please. <laughs> no. No. But we listened to earlier the audio yeah. clip of Alex Jones talking to Bob Chapman about how Reagan was getting pegged and how that made Alex sick. It made him mm. sick to think about. Don't kink shame, Alex. <laughs> and now we have him being sick. He just feels sad here because Reagan invited the Trilateral Commission to the White House once. Mm. God, I love that so much. I love that wow. so much. <laughs> wow. Oh, so now he finishes up. With David Rockefeller's book, uh, the end of the chapter, at least, uh, Proud Internationalist, by giving us this quote, which is, quote, These organizations reflect my belief in the principle of constructive engagement. As an intelligence officer during World War II, I learned that my effectiveness depended on my ability to develop a network of people with reliable information and influence. Some may feel this technique is cynical and manipulative. I disagree. Such an approach enabled me to meet people who were useful in advancing goals and gave me opportunities to form lasting friendships that have greatly enriched my life. 
And then he says about that, I will leave it to you to decide whether the passage comforts you in the belief that the wealthy and powerful are looking out for your best interests, or whether the passage fills you with stark, raving terror. That's not me making it up. He put those words down on paper. There's a clear implication of which he thinks it should do, I will say. It's, I mean... It's wild because, A, what he's talking about there, if you just go look at the chapter, you know, he's talking about all these organizations that he's been a member of throughout his Mm -hmm. life. Um, Been quite open about it as well. Like, for a rich dude that doesn't have to tell you about all the organizations that he's been in, he's really quite honest. And, And let me read you the remainder of that chapter that he didn't put in this book, which is, quote, I have kept a record of most people I have met since the 1940s. Their names are stored in an electronically operated Rolodex that contains upward of 100,000 entries. Each card records my first contact and all subsequent meetings, and I can quickly review the nature of my past associations before seeing someone again. In a surprising number of countries, Mexico and Brazil, for instance, I have met every head of state since World War II, several of, the, uh, several of them many times. The continuity of these relationships has stood me in good stead on many occasions. And then he ends with, quote, The world has now become so inextricably intertwined that the United States can no longer go it alone, as some prominent politicians have urged that we should. We are the world's sole superpower and its dominant nation economically. One of our principal duties is to provide judicious and consistent leadership that is firmly embedded in our national values and ideals. To do otherwise is to guarantee a return to the conflict that characterized the blood-drenched 20th century. It is that fear and that hope that makes me a proud internationalist. Benedict, uh, Stark rating terror? So much terror. (laughs) So much terror. I just, man, it's really, uh, I couldn't believe that he tried to turn that into something that was so over-the-top insane. That blew me away a little bit. But so now we get to the second book that we're going to be talking about in the second half of this chapter. And that is, of course, uh, Zbigniew new Brzezinski's 1970 book, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era. Bad and, title. I mean, it could be about uh, music trends in the 1970s. Mm. Techno, techno, techno. Technotronic, yeah. Um, and he says about this, quote, There were only 19 used copies of the original hardcover version available on Amazon. So I spent $49.50. Not that influential then, you might say. (laughs) So I spent $49.50 to purchase one of the few remaining copies. And Benedict, let me tell you. The bitterness in his voice. (laughs) Let me tell you, Benedict, I could have saved him $50. Wow. Because this book is available online in a PDF. It's, it's, you didn't have to pay $50. Great. You didn't have to. I don't know why you did. Unless maybe he's like me, one of those people who basically collects uh, horrible books, right? Maybe. So, you know, like if, if I saw a John Birch Society pamphlet from the 70s on the internet for 50 bucks, I'd probably snatch it up because I'm all into that kind of stuff. Uh, but, as I said, is it, of course, on the internet for free. You can find it. It will be linked in the show notes today. But he continues saying, quote, like Schwab after him. Brzezinski spent much of the first portion of the book reciting history and the rapid pace of change. There's a technique that persuaders will engage in to gain your acceptance. They begin by telling you things with which you already agree, and once trust had been established, ever so gently try to lead you to their position. And he just doesn't know how writing works, because that's, that's just all right. That's all persuasive writing. That is all persuasive writing. That's how that works. Yeah. That's, 
Like, that's how Alex works on that's his show. exactly how Alex works, yeah. That's and why Alex... attempts to in this book. Yeah, that's you why he pretends... Book opened, it's like, oh, wouldn't it be better if we all got along? Anyway, here's a bunch of conspiracies. Like, Yeah, it's why he pretends that his problem is only with these people having an inordinate amount of power. Not that he thinks they're a shadowy, shadowy globalist cabal who really runs the world. That's mm. because people will agree with Proposition 1, and then you try to convince them of Proposition 2 which is a little more extreme. That's just how that works. That's a common tactic. But he has a big uh, quote from Brzezinski. It's not very interesting. I'm not going to read this one. We'll read some, some later on. But he says, quote, However, it's only when Brzezinski reaches part four, the American transition, about 200 pages in, is the parenthetical, mm-hmm. that he starts to lay the groundwork for his new revolution. And, I mean, he says about 200 pages in. The PDF I have of this book is 123 pages. Right. It's it's possible that the hardcover was a I lot would say longer, probably, yeah. but I I can't imagine it, it. I don't know. He must have found a wonky copy somewhere. I just don't mm. know how that works. But now he's going to be talking about uh, you know Brzezinski's and and this whole thing. By the way, you know, like I said, I pulled this up. I didn't read the entire thing, but I read the entire section, part four. And I read, you know, chunks of the rest of it to get an idea of what he was talking about. Um, it's not at all about what Alex is claiming it's about. Uh, it's, it's like I said, just talking about how times are changing and we need to respond to them. Uh, but he starts out by claiming, actually he accurately says, that Brzezinski starts by telling us that there is a third American revolution going on, which is reminiscent of Klaus Schwab and his whole new industrial revolution thing that we've talked about before, right? Uh, But, you know, Brzezinski basically says, yeah, third American revolution, hard to define. We're in the middle of it right now. Basically, it's just that a bunch of stuff has changed. I kind of disagree with Brzezinski's proposition there. I think you can argue the Civil War stuff. I don't think the post-World War II revolution is really... Well, he called the Civil War an American revolution. Yeah, which I think you can argue about. I would argue against it personally. Um, But I think the third American revolution come post-World War II is, I think, not right. I I don't think that these sort of subjective uh, determinations about periods of history really matter that much is the whole is the sum and whole of my position on the issue. You're right. But I think if you're calling the post-World War II one the third one, I think there have been a lot more periods of change that warrant the name revolution. For example, the Industrial Revolution in the, you know, late 19th, early 20th century is, is probably more impactful than the Civil War. Well, not than the Civil War, but like it's more of a period of revolution than post-World War Two, probably, apart from how the global... Anyway, what it doesn't matter. I just disagree with his proposition. Yeah, you could be right about that. But, so he says, quote... Let me, after this long block quote from Brzezinski, he says, quote, let me break down Brzezinski's argument. More people are going to college. We need a new political system. There's an exclamation point at the end of all these. So big government funds, big science. We need a new political system. We have nuclear energy. We need a new political system. We have telephones. We need a new political system. We have highways. We need a new political system. We have television. We need a new political system. We have computers. We need a new political system. And, um, That's not really what it says. He doesn't actually say we need a new political system. He's just like, hey, the world's changing. We might have to right. deal with that at some point. And once again, I will say, you know, if you go and read this actual thing, he points out all of those things. And the way Alex portrays it is as though 
each one of those necessitates a new political system. When the point that Brzezinski is, is making, actually, if you read the entire piece, is, well, the, all these changes in the aggregate have created a situ situation that is drastically different than anything the United States has experienced before. And the current state of the political system is not agile enough to deal with the way that these things are changing. He points to things like, uh, this is obviously written in 1970, the anti-war movement and the new left. He's actually very critical of the new left. Um, I think, I, I don't remember the title he gave for the section of that, but it was something like infantile ideology was the title of right, the man. section about the new left. Let's call names. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, it's, cool. But so his thrust is, and, and actually this is the most hilarious part to me. Um, if Alex's ghostwriter had actually read the full section, which I don't think he did, uh, he would have come across the portion of the chapter where he's saying that the solution to a lot of this is more local control that can more <laughs> more quickly adapt to changing issues and situations yeah. that are going I on. Actually, I actually, I don't disagree with his point that's upcoming about the creating three Americas and in, in that you're creating tranches of classes and, and, and differences and people thinking different things about it so like he's basically like hey there are now like white collar workers f blue collar workers that still have jobs and blue collar workers that don't have jobs yeah like whose careers are being made obsolete by technology and to be clear you're Which talking is, about brzezinski making that point brzezinski, yeah, yeah, brzezinski alex is not right. smart enough to come up no, with an no, idea no. like that no he disagrees he's like ah you see he's trying to divide america and then, no it's just, he's just yeah, describing pointing out that there are different situations happening. in the world yeah. Yeah, he actually, so what, just to give you an idea of what Benedict was just talking about, uh, Brzezinski has this idea that there are three Americas, right? Uh, so, it, three Americas are being created. Right, right, right. So we're we're the, in a period of creation of three Americas. Yeah, there, is, the a, there is a new America, which he calls the technotronic America, right? Which is your white-collar workers. Specifically, he leans heavily on, like, the scientific types, academic mm -hmm. and scientific individuals as that sort of um, his version of this third America. He is, you know... There probably is an argument made that Brzezinski was a scientism fault. Not a Scientologist. Not a Scientologist. I, I, heard, you, I heard you going, Scientologist. No, no, no. no, no. He, he heavily falls into the camp of scientism in the way that that yeah. term actually makes sense, not in the way that people like Alex will throw it out. But in mm -hmm. that he, he put too much faith in science as the driver of future change and progress. Um, there's probably an, an argument to be made for that about Brzezinski. But he also points out, like you said, two other Americas. So the other ones are like the, you know, factory workers, like you said, blue collar people with jobs. And the what he calls the pre-industrial America, the first America, is sort of like the people who are still farming, the sharecroppers, people like that. And also, I think he throws mm -hmm. into that, you know, people who have been left behind. Uh, but mm -hmm. Alex says about all of that, quote, it's clear from what follows that Brzezinski doesn't like factory workers or people who live in rural areas. That's not what he says. He says we have to make the world better for those people that it's leaving behind. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what yeah. Brzezinski is arguing. He is arguing yeah. that we, those people are indeed falling behind and that society needs to help bring them along. That's the argument. But I guess if you're Alex and you think that science and medicine and academics are evil... And part of a, like, you know, like we always go to, globalist cabal to brainwash people, then maybe that's how you could point it as a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe it possibly makes sense. I don't know. But he does point out that Brzezinski is not part of the radical socialist left, uh, but that he just, you know, wants rich people to be in charge, technocrats, which doesn't match the block quote that he then puts in. Um, and the block quote that he puts in, 
says, quote, The government, as an expression of the national will, increasingly attends uh, to be seen as unable to direct and coordinate national change effectively. It appears to neither articulate national goals nor to develop a sense of national direction. This feeling of uncertainty about national purpose is also magnified by the fading of the established political elite that has guided the nation since World War II, primarily composed of men coming from the eastern seaboard and connected with legal, corporate, and high financial circles. The political elite provided a sense of continuity within the framework of pragmatic liberal consensus on the nature and character of modern industrial society. Alex wants you to read that as him saying that, that's a, that it's a good thing when elites are in charge. Yeah. When Brzezinski is pointing out that there's been a fracturing of the consensus since those elites are no longer in charge. That's really what's going on there. And and that is also, like I said, the section of this paper where he get, then goes in to talk about how one of the solutions to this problem is more local control at the state and city level mm-hmm. to deal with these sort of changes that are happening in America. It's fucking crazy. It's fucking bonkers. It doesn't yeah, make yeah, any I mean, goddamn sense. <laughs> no, no, it's just the boogeyman. It's, al- it's always the boogeyman, isn't it? Like that's the thing. You can always, and like you can always cherry pick. Th- this is why I hate this type of critique. Like you can always cherry pick stuff without engaging with the broader argument and presents it in this kind of way. And but like it's not even well done. Is the thing. Like, no. I like even just because I didn't do any of the background research. Because who am I to do that? I never do that. Um. But, like, even just reading this, you can tell there's a context there that's not being given. No, absolutely. Even just with the bits yeah. he picks. Oh, and, and it gets very worse, with, uh, very much worse with our next block quote. But before we get to that, mm-hmm. I will just say how Alex responded uh, to that block quote about the, you know, the, the political elites not being in charge anymore, blah, blah, blah. He says, quote, Brzezinski is genuinely telling the public that the problem is rich, powerful men from the eastern seaboard. However... His later answer would be to replace them with people like Henry Kissinger, David Rockefeller, Zbigniew Brzezinski, and George H.W. Bush. All rich, powerful men from the eastern seaboard. Which is not what he says in here. He does want, no. like, he wants more scientists involved in, in society. That's, that's part of what he wants. But then Alex puts in this quote. And again, uh, remember, uh, the, the, the Alex is a fucking liar. He says, mm. quote, this is a quote from Brzezinski. Brzezinski, yeah. Yeah. The courtship of the press and mass media is always uh, a necessary concomitant of courting the masses, since the masses are influenced not only by direct appeal, but also through the intermediary of an image, which is in part built up by the media themselves. The desirability of this image puts a premium on advocating the immediately popular and the fashionable, rather than on formulating broader objectives by focusing attention on basic philosophical questions concerning the meaning of modern society. Benedict, what do you want to guess uh, uh, that Alex uh, blatantly distorted that quote to reach the desired result? Well, I, okay, I don't need to... First of all, that all that is saying is the media is a powerful force in America and it's a necessary thing for people in the public eye to essentially do PR, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they yeah. need to be seen by the media in a certain light. That's what that quote is saying. That is not how Alex interprets the quote. No. Alex interprets the quote as the elites need to use the power of the media for mind control over the general populace. Oh, yes. So, oh, yes. I mean, even, I, I don't even think, even, uh, as I say, like, I, clearly there's missing context, which you're about to tell me. Yes, I am. But even without that context... I don't think that's a, 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 
an insidious quote by any means. I think it's, hey, it's important because you can't always communicate directly with people. You need to have a good relationship with the media or at least be portrayed by the media in a certain way to be successful. Yes. That's all that's saying. And so Alex told tells us about that block quote. Quote, the globalists are telling us directly how much they need to use the media to influence the public. It's even better if you can attach your persuasion to some type of image. Therefore, it's not that we disagree about whether vaccines are being safely monitored, but that those who think there are some safety concerns being overlooked are anti-science. If you disagree about some government program, then that must mean you are a right-wing terrorist. So he's obviously going along the line that Brzezinski, in the portion that he quoted, is saying that we, the globalists, the Brzezinskis, the trilaterarians, the trilaterians, are using the media through these images to influence people. Allow me to read you the sentence immediately before the the part of the paragraph that Alex quoted, which is, quote, The breakup of the post-war elite highlights the dichotomy... Uh, between the qualities necessary to gain political power in American democracy and those necessary to exercise effective leadership of that democracy. Then, the portion Alex quoted starts, the courtship of the press and the mass media, blah, blah, blah. Going to immediately after the portion that Alex quotes, it continues, since social consensus has been fragmented by the pace of change and society's value structure has itself become highly tactical, the larger strategic questions tend to be obscured. It then says, to make matters worse, <laughs> he's portraying this courtship of the press as a bad thing. Yeah, well, because he hates populists, as does Rockefeller, right? That's the thing. Like, he doesn't want populism. He doesn't want someone like a Donald Trump who can play the press and be portrayed in a certain way. Anyway, it's just when I catch them in an obvious lie like this, I have to call it out. It means yeah. exactly the opposite of what Alex is trying to portray it as. And there's nothing I can call that other than a blatant fucking lie. Trying to tell people this means something completely different. It just, I have to call it out. I really do. Uh, and then we get another blatant fucking lie where he says, Brzezinski seems to suggest how their plan would unfold. And he block quotes for us from Brzezinski, quote, more directly linked to the impact of technology. It involves the gradual appearance, and uh, what is that it there? Why is there a pronoun reference yeah. missing? Why do we not know what it means? It's because Alex, of course, left out the important part of what he's quoting so that yeah. you would intentionally misunderstand what is being said in this paragraph. It's, it, it's again, I'm going to read for you, rather than reading Alex's and then telling you uh, what it actually means, I'm just going to read the entirety of it, um, the, the paragraph that he's misquoting here, um, and, and you'll understand. Mm. So you heard where I started that, more directly linked to the impact of technology. Where the paragraph actually begins is, quote, Another threat, less overt but no less basic, confronts liberal democracy. More directly linked to the impact of technology, it involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled and directed society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite whose claim to political power would rest on allegedly superior scientific know-how, unhindered by the restraints of traditional liberal values. And... Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, fucking yeah. furious, Benedict. I'm fucking furious. <laughs> he continues, This elite would not hesitate to achieve its political ends by using the latest modern techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance and control. Leaving off that first sentence mm. makes it a Seems lie. Like a big one, yeah. Because he calls that a threat. 
a threat. That is what the it is referencing. That's the pronoun reference. The threat. <laughs> but Alex calls that Brzezinski saying how his plan will work. <laughs> it's It fucking infuriates me. Yeah. It's such yeah. a fucking lie. It's it's insane. Sorry, are you are you under the impression that Alex Jones doesn't lie with every breath he takes? No, I mean, I, yeah. I know that. But the what really pisses me off is that in order to copy paste the portion he got from that book, he, he had cut to something out. He yeah, had yeah. to have read that first sentence. There's no he knows. He is directly aware that the paragraph means the opposite of what he is saying. It is not the standard conspiracist move of intentional misinterpretation of something that is somewhat vague it is taking something that quite obviously means the direct opposite and lying to your audience that it means something else and i think going back to his statement about how he paid 50 bucks for this book i now by the time i got to the end of you know fact checking this portion of the chapter that that was intentional that he probably did find the pdf online but he doesn't want other people to think that there is a PDF easily available online by which to fact check these things he is lying about in this book. I think that is intentional. I really do. But he continues after the quote saying, quote, I have to note that these globalists don't understand that they can't really seem to convince the public and need to use techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance and control. That is convincing the public. Yeah. Using techniques to convince the public is convincing yeah, the public. Yeah. With these people, it's always about controlling others. It's like a pathological state. The equivalent of a religious fanatic always believing the end of the world is just around the corner. That's Alex! ironic. <laughs> you believe the end of the world is right around the corner. And That's going to fuck up some headphones. Yes, I'm yelling. You need to, you need to fix that in post. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. That fucked up my headphones live, so... That's going to mess some people up. God, it just pisses me the fuck off. It really, I, I don't know why, because I, I have such obviously lower expectations uh, for Alex than I do for any of the other authors that we've ever done before. But for some reason, he somehow manages to piss me off. To annoy you more. Somehow. Yeah, I yeah. don't know how. I really don't, but it's, it's somehow managing, managing to do it. Uh, but so he has another block quote. Now, from Brzezinski, right? That's basically going to be the, the rest of the book. It's, it's just until we, or not the book, but the rest of the chapter is just these block quotes. Uh, oh, and then some Goldwater to finish it off for us, which is great. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. But the block quote he gives at this time uh, is, quote, Technological developments make it certain that modern society will require more and more planning. Deliberate management of the American future will become widespread, with the planner eventually displacing the lawyer as the key social legislator and manipulator. This will put a greater emphasis on defining goals and, by the same token, on a more self-conscious preoccupation with social ends. The part he left out, where that sentence continues, is, quote, How to combine social planning with personal freedom is already emerging as the key dilemma of the technotronic America, replacing the mm. industrial age's preoccupation with balancing social needs against the requirements of free enterprise. So personal freedom is important. Yep, then. yep. It obviously is. It obviously is. Yep. And, uh, you know, he, he's... God, he's full of shit. So the next block quote... All right, let's do the... Well, no, let's just do the... the it's kind of boring. Let's do the... Well, I stuff. just want to point out that this next block quote, um, it, he is from an entirely different section of the book. Um, it's, uh, you know, 15, 16 pages separate from the last quote he just did. Um, and it's about international uh relations the the book so it has that section about america about you know what internal american stuff and then it has it ends with an entire long section about internationalism 
and about you know cooperation with other nations. Brzezinski is open to bringing uh, communist and non-communist nations together for cooperation to avoid war. Blah not, blah blah. Not according to Goldwater, but it is good. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who wants Goldwater's take on whether we should nuke at the USSR, <laughs> you can go well, and subscribe to our. The Patreon funny part channel. is the block quote that he gives us. The last block quote from Brzezinski that he gives us is the only instance in Brzezinski's entire book where the phrase world government appears. And Brzezinski is using it sarcastically. He says, quote, To sum up, though the objective of shaping a community of the developed nations is less ambitious than the goal of world government, it is more attainable. He had never talked about trying to create world government throughout any other portion Mm -hmm. of that book. He was just saying, hey, we can create a community of nations. You know, uh, it's hard to do a world government, but we can do a community of nations. Come on, folks, it's doable. That's what he's arguing there. But uh, Alex says about that, Brzezinski seems to be really, all capitalized, disappointed that he can't get his world government as quickly as he wanted. Because we know it always goes back to the New World Order, one world government conspiracy theories. Always. And he ends off this section of the chapter before we get to one of those triple star page breaks and the end of the chapter by saying, quote, Brzezinski wants the communists to know there will be an eventual reconciliation between the communist and non-communist nations when they are absorbed by the globalists. In in the view of the globalists, their model is the best of both worlds, efficient capitalism with zero political freedom. They will buy your soul and your silence with their technological marvels. It's like we've gone back to the days of Mussolini and Hitler, who will at least make the trains run on time— Everything old is new again, which is the most Alex paragraph, the most Alex two sentences of the book by far yet. But that's where we get to the page break and we get to the end of this chapter, where, as I said, yes, he brings Barry G into it. And luckily, yeah, big Barry G. Luckily, Benedict and I had just finished, have just finished our review of Barry Goldwater's The Conscience of a Conservative for Patrons Only. You can go check it out over on the patron-only side if you want. So we know quite a bit about Barry at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. Quite a bit, which makes a lot of this very ironic to me. Where he says, quote, One of the people who was not taken with the globalists of the Trilateral Commission in the 1970s was United States Senator Barry Goldwater. Who famously what a shock from me. <laughs> who famously ran against President Lyndon Johnson in 1964 for the presidency and lost in a landslide. It's good that we admit that. Yeah. However, time has not been kind to Johnson, who is now well, almost universally believed by historians to have been a crooked politician and a liar of immense proportions about our progress in the Vietnam War. Uh, okay. The latter is true. Definitely the latter. And there's also, there's this whole thing I about mean, how was his first election, like back in the 40s or something, might have involved some fraud in him winning the election in Texas. Fine. Everything involved fraud back Yeah, then. it really did. But also, are you honestly going to say the president who brought us the Civil Rights Act is viewed poorly by history? Like, honestly, there are plenty of people, myself included, who criticized well, Johnson for a lot of things he did, did a lot of things he said. There's plenty of criticism to be had. But I think when you compare him to other presidents of his time, let's just take one, for example, Nixon. Mm. Uh, uh, t- time is much more kind to Lyndon Johnson than it has been to Nixon. To, to be fair, 
to this sentence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually say historians view him poorly as a president. It just says historians view him as a crooked politician and a liar, uh, which is both probably true. I, well, he's trying to set up the dichotomy with this next sentence where he says, quote, by contrast, the historic judgment of Senator Barry Goldwater has only risen with the passage of time. It depends who you <laughs> ask. Not me and Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> Because if Goldwater had won, there wouldn't be historians to judge nope. anyone because we would all be dead. Nuclear fire. Uh, and he continues, with even uh, his political opponents acknowledging the man's honesty and integrity. And that's one of those things we talked about a bunch when we've yeah. gone over Goldwater. Ah. I, I, have, I have maintained Barry Goldwater was a well-meaning, complete An fucking dumb idiot. dumb. Complete yeah. fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, personally, he was very good on issues of race. Uh, he made sure that his uh, African-American assistant in the Senate was allowed to eat in the formerly whites-only lunchroom, uh, the Senate cafeteria. But kept voting against making that the law. Yeah. He was personally uh, you know, a big donor for the, uh, I think it was Phoenix um, uh, NAACP. But you are correct. An idiotic, idiotic libertarian. Idiotic libertarianism words. really fucked him up. Uh, and also, yeah. you know, he, he wanted to nuke everything that moved. So also not a great thing. As if it spoke Russian. But he now has a quote for us from Barry Goldwater's memoirs, published in 1979, where he said, quote, In my view, the Trilateral Commission represents a skillful, coordinated effort to seize control and consolidate the four centers of power, political, monetary, intellectual, and ecclesiastical. All that is to be done in the interest of creating a more peaceful, more productive world community. Throughout my public life and in these pages, I have refrained from judging other men's motives. I have no such hesitancy about judging their wisdom and the results of the actions taken. And again, Barry Goldwater's a dum-dum. Because the Trilateral Commission uh, didn't didn't do that much. It, it hasn't had that <laughs> yeah. much actual influence. Again, it got someone not re-elected. Right! It's, it, yeah, it did that. It did Jimmy Carter. So we get, you know, it's a bunch more quotes from Goldwater. There's nothing really interesting in it. It's Goldwater spinning conspiracies. It's his, him complaining about how basically it's a free trade organization. I guess you could say the Trilateral Commission probably had some input on a lot of like free trade deals throughout the 70s, probably, 80s, yeah. 90s maybe. Uh, you know, but other than that, like who really gives a shit? Um, but, <clears throat> but, but, but actually, I mean, I misread that. Goldwater is actually in favor of that sort of stuff, getting rid of tariffs and export quotas and all that sort of stuff. So it's really it's really just that he thinks it's a conspiracy, I think, is, is why Goldwater's against this. But to finish off, I will read the last several paragraphs of the chapter, as I normally do. One of them includes a Goldwater quote, so I'm just going to go and through it, and I'll let you know when I'm reading that part. It says, quote, One can clearly appreciate the cleverness of the globalists. Many conservatives would applaud the taking down of trade barriers, and yet the catch is what would replace them. At its heart, the difference between the globalists and the conservatives is about freedom. Do we trust the hidden hand of the open marketplace, or do we think the smart people need to pick winners and losers? Goldwater concludes by telling us how he would be treated by the globalists of the Trilateral Commission and their heirs. And this is the Goldwater quote. Populations are treated as nothing more than producing and consuming units. No attempt has been made to explain why the people of the Western world enjoy economic abundance. Freedom, spiritual, political, economic, is denied any importance in the trilateral construction of the next century. Again, remember, we read Zbigniew Brzezinski talking about how balancing freedom with this other stuff is, in fact, important. And then Alex finishes the book by saying... 
We are currently more than 40 years removed from Goldwater's warning, and yet it seems as if he could have written these words just yesterday. And he could have. Yeah, because they haven't fucking moved on since. <laughs> because the conspiracies never change. They just get new boogie, yeah. right? Freedom is under assault in ways that were unimaginable just a few short years ago. Were they unimaginable, or did Goldwater predict them 40 years ago? Which is it? <laughs> this is not an accident. It is part of a long-established plan. This has nothing to do with social good, helping the children, or saving the whales. I don't know why that's in there. I think because they just have to always call environmentalism communism somehow. It is a battle for control of everyone's future, and it is critically important that we understand the enemy who lurks in the shadows. Uh, Again, the Trilateral Commission has a website, puts out a lot of information. They're, They're not in the shadows. It's just Alex putting fake shadows onto them. Benedict! we learn anything in chapter three uh alex has the capacity to be boring yeah to me. yeah it really does i mean the next chapter i took a peek is where we finally get into covid stuff so that's probably gonna be fun i'm really excited okay. for that we can hope so i also of course you know how i am i enjoy when he gives me stuff to dig into and fact check mm-hmm. on that's really one of my favorite things about these books when we do them but uh just a, a little note here at the end of the show i did announce on twitter uh, that all of our patron-only pledges for the month of November are going to be going to the Raphael Warnout campaign for the runoff in Georgia. Um, I realized that the election is bef- starts before the end of November, so I'm going to... So you'll pre- pre-do it. Yeah, I'm going to do that before actually the end of the month. So just for anyone who is thinking about joining, if you need that extra extra little thing, you know, whatever the end number is, I'm going to like round up to the next 50 bucks or something. You know, it's not a huge deal. But if you want to and contribute along with that. It's not a big deal. I'm just saving democracy. That's all. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You know, try and join within the next week or so if you've been thinking about it and you want me to, to donate something on your behalf. Uh, you can do that. You can also go donate on your own. I'm not stopping anyone <laughs> from donating do that, on their yeah. own. Please, in fact, do donate to that on your own. Uh, Make Joe Manchin irrelevant pleased, again. <laughs> well, Joe Manchin or Kristen Cinema, one of the two Kristen of them. Kristen Cinema's facing re-election, though. Well, she's facing a primary for sure. Yeah, 100%. So she might become God. a little less lame if she's the only one. I'm hoping. I don't know. I haven't thought about it a ton. I did have this thought earlier She outside, has really... She used to be way more progressive. It's insane. Now, which I know a lot of people... Like, she used to be... Like, anyway... I think she's a chameleon that might shift with the wind. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, here's hoping. If if we have 51 cents. Here's definitely but hoping. See. But as I said, you know, try in the next week or so, uh, get in that, and then I will make the donation uh, to whatever that amount is. So thank you all so very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to nygbcpod.com. Wait, that's not what I normally say. Wow, I'm fucking it up today. No. Wow. You can also go to nygbcpod.com forward slash... Uh, official positions of the show, I think, is the <laughs> URL, and see our official position that Ben Shapiro's a dipshit. Uh, that's it. That's the only one. <laughs> but you can go to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Clifton Stuckey, Pause, Lilith210, A Baby, I feel like I have to come Every up with something time. for that. I'm going with the baby talk for now. We'll see if it holds. Veronica Forker, Melissa C, JD, George Saulnier, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hailman, Utah Outcast, Brent Lee, Dave Barwick, Chris Pime, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacara, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, 
Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Takanen, and Balls Waters. And thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. Goodbye. Bye. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.